Wildwood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you would take out your Bibles and please turn in your Bibles to the very first gospel, which is Matthew chapter 6. And if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you. You could take that Bible and turn to page number 5 in the back part, and you would be right at Matthew chapter 6. Now, we have been doing a, a series of messages around our whole Ready for Takeoff theme. And remember, the whole idea of Ready for Takeoff is to take Wildwood Community Church's outreach to a new altitude. And we have, for a number of weeks, been looking at different dimensions of that. We began by looking at sharing his life. This is part of taking our outreach to a new altitude. This is the whole area of evangelism. And you'll remember we were in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 when it says that we are his witnesses. And we were in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it tells us that we are ambassadors for Christ. And then we looked at the idea of sharing his light. And this is around the the theme of discipleship. We not only want to lead people to a knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ as a rescuer of sin and judgment, but we want them to develop their relationship with Him. We want them to grow in their relationship with Him. We want them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, fully devoted disciples of Him. And we looked at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, when it gives us that command, what's often called the Great Commission, to go out and to make disciples and to be baptizing them and teaching them to observe all that He has commanded. And then next week, we're going to look at sharing His love around the theme of bringing compassion and justice to people who are in need, both locally and around the world. And as we've been doing this, it's been really exciting to do it, each week we've had a featured opportunity about how you and I can get involved personally in our Ready for Takeoff initiative. So today, here's what we're going to do. Today, I want to talk about fuel for the flight. I want to talk about investing our resources. And at the end of our time, we're going to again present another featured opportunity for how you and I can be involved in our Ready for Takeoff initiative. So what I'm going to talk about today is money. We're going to talk about financial resources. And as we do that, I want you to know, I do that with no apology at all. In fact, I I look back over my records, and as far as I can tell, I've spoken some 33 times at Wildwood on the subject matter of money, how we manage our money, how we should be investing our money for the glory of God. You know, it's really interesting. Jesus had more to say about money than he did about heaven. Jesus had more to say about money than he did about hell. Someone has calculated that there are 1,500 verses in the Bible that deal with the subject matter of money, only 500 that deal with the subject matter of prayer. Now, I was trained as a journalist, and journalists ask questions. And you start thinking through that for a moment. Now, Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven and hell. 
There are maybe 1,500 verses in the Bible about money, only 500 about prayer, and here's where the journalism kicks in. Why? You ever ask yourself that question? Isn't that kind of curious? Why? Is it because God needs our money? <laughs> God's sitting up there and saying, you know what? I, I Really, I need, I need Bruce's money. I really do. You know, it's kind of tight up here in heaven. No, that's not the reason why. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. So why? Why? And I think here is the answer. For a follower of Jesus, how we handle our money and how we invest our money is a gauge of where our heart is. Look here in, in, in Matthew chapter 6 at verse 21. Because, you know, Jesus is talking here about money. He's talking about laying up treasure. He said you can lay up treasure on earth, you can lay up treasure in heaven. But notice what he says in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. See, one reason why Jesus talked about money more than he did heaven and hell, why there seems to be these 1,500 verses and far fewer verses on subject matters like prayer, is because as a follower of Jesus, what I'm doing with my money, how I'm investing my money is a gauge of where my heart is. See, there's a reason. There's a method to the madness, if I could put it, that way. I want you to know I'm extremely excited because what I want to share with you today is what has marked my heart and marked my life. And basically, we could spend eight weeks going over this in depth. But what I want to do this morning is just survey through four things that have marked my own heart and life when it comes to the subject matter of money. And the first thing I want to look at is a transformational reality when it comes to finances and money. It's a reality that will transform your life and your perspective. Secondly, I want to look at a motivational opportunity that is presented to us as followers of Jesus. Thirdly, I want to look at an encouraging clarification, and I think it's very important clarification that is very encouraging. And then the fourth thing I want to look at is a thought provoking principle. This is a principle that will make all of us think over the next number of days and the next couple of weeks. If we really wrestle with it, it will make us think a little bit. So that's what we want to look at today. These are things that have marked my own heart and marked my own life. So the first thing we want to look at is a transformational reality that relates to money and finances. And I want you to know this about this transformational reality. Without revelation from God, we would not know about this reality. We only know this reality because he has revealed it to us. Without revelation, we would be unaware of this reality, but it's a transformational reality. And it has two parts to it. Here's the first part of the transformational reality is that God owns everything. God owns everything everything. We want to look at a passage. It's way back in the Old Testament, um, a number of books to the left of the middle of your Bible. And if you can get to the, the first and second Samuel and then first and second Kings, then it comes first and second Chronicles. We want to look at first Chronicles chapter 29 verses 11 and 12. 
Now, this is transformation, transformational reality, both if you're young, if you're middle-aged, if you're older. Look at 1 Chronicles 29, verse 11. It says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Now, notice what he goes on to say next. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion. O Lord, you exalt yourself as head over all. Verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and strengthen everyone. Everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you, is the message. And God himself says in Job 41, verse 11, everything under heaven belongs to you to me. When it says everything under heaven, what's included in everything? The last time I checked, everything meant everything. Everything under heaven belongs to me. David said this in Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2, the earth is the Lord's, and here we go, and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. And then God again says in Psalm 50, verse 12, you can't get any more plain than this. The world is mine. And what does it say next? And all that is in it. You know, there's certain resources, certain things that are in your sphere that you have some control over. But guess what? You don't really own that. God owns that. Everything under heaven, God says, belongs to me. The world is mine and all that is in it. And I just have to admit to you that when I was younger, I had no clue. No one had ever told me about this transformational reality. I mean, after all, when I was younger, I thought it was my toys. I I thought it was my football. I thought it was my games, and I lived way back in the dark ages when we didn't have electronic games. We just had these board games that we would play. But when I was younger, I thought all of those things were mine. You know, and we tend to think the same way. We tend to think it's my house, it's my car, it's my savings account, it's my portfolio, it's my paycheck. But God says, wait a minute, I own everything. Everything that is in the earth is mine. You see, it's really God's house. It's really God's car. It's really God's savings account. It's really God's portfolio. It's really God's paycheck. Now, this is pretty radical stuff. This is a transformational reality. Now, stick with me for a moment. If God is the owner of everything, then we all own the same amount, which is zero. See how this works? God owns everything. We all own, every one of us, the exact same amount, which is zero. 
So the first part of the transformational reality is that God owns everything. Here's the second part of that reality is that we manage His resources. He is the owner. We manage His resources. The New Testament term that we see is the term steward. We are stewards of what God owns because everything in the world belongs to Him. But we manage, I like that word, it's a little bit more the kind of language we use every day, we manage His resources. In Romans 14, verse 12, it says this of a follower of Jesus. It says, each one of us will give an account to God. We're giving an account for how we managed His resources, the things that He actually owned. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, it says that there's one thing that is required of a steward or a manager, and that they be found faithful, that they managed resources in a way that was in the best interest of the one who owns everything. And you know... This really hit me a number of years ago when I was wrestling through some of these principles by this transformational reality that that God owns everything and, and I'm just a manager of what He owns. Remember when we were back there in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 12, there was a little phrase that was tucked in there that we read and it said this, riches come from you. You see, no matter what we have, it's a gift from God. Even the paycheck that we may get from our job is a gift from God. You say, wait a second, whoa, 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 whoa. I earned that. It's still a gift from God. Who gave you the ability to do whatever work you do? Who gave you the intelligence to be able to process the data and the information you need to process? Who gave you the skill sets, the gifts, the abilities? See, it all comes back to a gift from His hand. And even the paycheck that we earn really belongs to God because everything in the world is His. And and I remember when I was wrestling through the ramifications of this in my own life and I thought to myself, you know what, I need to remind myself every month about this. I happen to get a monthly paycheck So, And I've shared this before. What I decided to do is when I got that paycheck, before I ever cashed the paycheck, is I would get down on my knees holding that and say, God, this is a gift from your hand. You ultimately own this. Thank you for giving this to me to be able to manage. And then the second part of the prayer is I pray that I would just manage this in a way that's honoring to you. And before I cash the check, I've been doing that. And, you know, I started doing that. I calculated this out in January of 2006. I've now done that 82 times in a row. And I'm going to do that every month the rest of my life. Because I want to remember this transformational reality that He owns everything, but I manage His resources. So that's the first thing. It's very important. And I'll tell you, if you get a grip on this, you get a strong grip on it, it will change your life. 
It's a transformational reality. The second thing I want to look at is what I call a motivational opportunity. A motivational opportunity. You can begin to turn back to the New Testament to Matthew chapter 6 because we're going to go back there. But here is the motivational opportunity, and that is God delights when we invest in eternity. God delights when we invest in eternity. And back at Matthew 6, which is where we started, I want to look at verses 19 to 21 again. Now, Jesus says to the disciples, to the followers of Jesus here, he says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. We could translate it, stop storing up and stacking up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, I want you to keep your eyes on those verses, and I want you to see what this does not say. Jesus does not say that earthly treasure is inherently bad. Did you notice he doesn't say that? He says that earthly treasure is inherently temporary. And we need to be reminded of that from time to time. And that's why he says, rather than storing up earthly treasure, store up heavenly treasure. And heavenly treasure is investing in the kingdom of God. Isn't it amazing how our minds work? You know, how often we mistakenly will think, if I give to the kingdom, my money is gone. The truth is, If we spend it, it's gone. See the difference there? And God delights when we invest in eternity. And you know, we live in an era where there's this epidemic of investment schemes going on. We we hear it on a national level with a guy like Bernie Madoff, and he gets all these very wealthy people to give money, and then he ends up basically living this lavish lifestyle. You might hear about things in our community, in our own state, where someone maybe is, is told, you can help manage this person's money, and then they siphon it off, and they go and buy themselves a Mercedes, or they go out on these big vacations to Las Vegas. All kinds of investment schemes going on out there. But the best investment scheme, if you want to call it that, that there has ever been is the one that comes from the throne room of the living God. And that is investing in eternity. You know, there's no risk because there are eternal dividends that will come to us. And we've talked about before, part of what happens when we invest in the kingdom of God is that we will earn for ourselves friends in heaven so that one day when we all walk through that little passageway that goes from this world to the next world, we will be, if we've been investing in the kingdom of God, we're going to bump into people who are our friends in heaven that we never even knew by name, who are going to say, you know what, I thank you so much for investing in this way because I heard the gospel because of what you did, and and I'm now in eternity because of you. 
or because of how you invested in what you did. I learned about the person of Christ more. I learned in depth about how to have a relationship with him. I learned about what the Bible taught. It's transformed my life. You see, that's the kind of thing that energizes me. That's the kind of thing that excites me. And here's what's interesting about all this. If we store up our treasure on earth, Every day, we're moving one step further away from it because we're headed for eternity, right? But if we store up treasure in heaven, every day, we're moving one step closer toward it. This, men and women, is a motivational opportunity. And I want to share with you, I was just thinking about this, the three greatest joys of the Christian life that I have experienced. And the first one is this, playing a part in leading someone to Christ. And I tell you, that's, that's brought the greatest joy in my Christian life. It's just so cool to see. Second thing that's brought the greatest joy in my Christian life is meeting the true need of another person. When I know, man, they really have a true need and I have an opportunity to help meet that need, the joy that that brings. And then the third thing in terms of the greatest joy in the Christian life, I would say, is giving generously to the kingdom of God. There's just something that resonates deep inside of us. This is the right thing to do. And it brings joy in our life. So we've looked at this transformational reality that God owns everything and we are just managing His resources. We've talked about this motivational opportunity, the idea that He would allow us the opportunity to invest in eternity and He calls us to do that and that delights Him. And then, thirdly, we want to look at an encouraging clarification and this one is so important, I think. It's very, very encouraging. It's a great clarification. And in order to look at that, we need to turn one gospel over to the right to Mark chapter 12, and we want to look at verses 41 to 44. And we're going to look at a little scene with Jesus. It's a a familiar story to, to some of us, maybe not so familiar to others, but if you've ever gone out to the mall, I do enjoy going out to the mall. I just like to watch people. And if you, if you would, that's what Jesus was doing this particular day. He happened to be in the temple, and he was watching people in the treasury of the temple. It's just fascinating to me. He sat down opposite the treasury, and he just began observing how people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. Now, generally what they did is they had this metallic container and and people had coins. They didn't have paper money. And so when you would put large sums in, you're kind of clanging, 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 clanging. All this money was going in. And these people were putting in large sums of money, very large sums of money. And then while he's watching, something else happened. This very poor widow came and she put in to the treasury two small copper coins, which amounted to a cent. And Jesus said, aha, aha, teaching opportunity for the disciples. So he called his disciples to himself, and here's what he said to them. 
He said, truly I say to you. In other words, I'm going to shoot as straight with you as I can shoot right now. This poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Can you imagine you know, hearing that coming out of Jesus' lips? What? Yeah, he said she did. She put in more than all the contributors to the treasury for they all put in out of their surplus. They didn't really sacrifice anything in their life. They were just giving with all the, the sort of the extra funds that they had. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. Now, I, I look at that. She put in more than all the contributors. Do you see how this can be encouraging for some of us? It means that you don't have to give a large gift to be a large giver in God's eyes. I don't know about you, but I look at these verses and I think God is so cool. I mean, I remember, I remember when I was a poor college student. You know, I had left home. I was halfway across the country. When it came to resources, I didn't really have any. If I happened to be in a church and they started talking about some sort of an initiative where they wanted to raise $750,000, I would have immediately just tuned out because, hey, I mean, you know, my nickels aren't going to make a dent in that thing. I, I remember being a, a, uh, uh, in, in graduate school, just completing graduate school, and I have a wife, and I have a brand new baby, and I'm not able to get really the full-time job that I needed. And so one of my part-time things I did while I was in seminary is that I painted, and now I am painting full-time. And I don't mean painting, you know, beautiful pictures. I mean painting walls and things. And we were barely making it. And you see... If someone had shared this with me, it would have been an encouraging clarification. Because again, in that situation, if someone said, well, we're going to try to raise a significant amount of money to do a significant thing for the kingdom of God, I just would have said, well, I hope everybody else is uh, you know, planning to do something there. Because See, God is so cool. You don't have to give a large gift to be a large giver in God's eyes. And see, so when we talk about... Three families putting up $750,000 and trying for the rest of us in the church family to raise in the next year $750,000. Some of you are, who are students are thinking, I have so little to offer, it's not going to make a dent in that. Maybe you're a younger person and you, know, you don't even have a job yet. You know, you're maybe getting some, some allowance from your parents and you're thinking, there's nothing I can do. You know, oh, no, I can't get there. Maybe you're unemployed. You, you really don't, you can't find a job. You wish you had a job, but you, you, you don't have, you're very tight financially. Maybe you're retired. You're living on a fixed income. And boy, you wish it was fixed more than it's fixed. And see, it's really easy to psych yourself out. It's simple to psych yourself out and say, I can't, I can't do anything. It's not going to make a difference. God says, wait a minute, I have an encouraging clarification for you here. You know, I, I thought if we could do this, and, and I know not everybody knows everybody, but if let's just assume we all sort of knew one another, and if we did a poll, and the poll would be, who are the large givers at Wildwood Community Church? It'd be interesting to see what we came up with on our list. 
But I, I, I suspicion it wouldn't look the same as God's list. And that's why, no matter what our situation is, God says when it comes to the kingdom of God, invest. You see, invest. So we've looked at this transformational reality. God owns everything, and yet we're just managing things. We looked at the motivational opportunity that he delights when we invest in eternal treasure in the kingdom of God. We've looked at this encouraging clarification. You don't have to give a large amount to be a large giver in God's eyes. And then the fourth thing we want to look at is this thought-provoking principle, this thought-provoking principle. And I call it that because it will provoke our thought. This is something you're going to have to wrestle with a little bit in the days ahead, this thought-provoking principle. And here's the thought-provoking principle, and that is that we are called to invest in God's kingdom proportionally, proportionally. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, it says to the followers of Jesus, when it comes to giving of money for the kingdom of God, he said, each one of you is to do this. How many people would be left out of that? Nobody. So this is for everybody. No matter whether you're 8 years old or you're 80 years old or you're somewhere in between, it's for, for everybody. But we are to give, it says, as we may prosper. In Acts chapter 11, verse 29, it talks about the believers who gave. And it says, they gave in the proportion that any had means. The NIV says, each gave according to his ability. Now, one of the things that happens in the church at large, and I'm just going to expand it out beyond even Wildwood here, but what happens in the church at large is that we have this tendency as followers of Jesus to get hung up on a percentage, and that percentage is 10%. We say, well, that's what spiritual people do. They give 10%. Now, I want you to know that when I was that graduate student without the full-time job, really, and a wife and a baby, if I gave 10%, that was very sacrificial because I was worried about paying the bills, getting food on the table. Now, later on, I have all of my kids grown and gone, and I've been around for a little while, and wow, it's been very generous to me faithfully giving me a paycheck. 10% for me is not as sacrificial as it was then. See, that's kind of the idea here. That we are to give as we may prosper in the proportion that we have means according to our ability. The idea is that as God prospers us, that we give more. As we earn more money, which is really a gift from God, He owns everything anyway, and I'm just managing it, that we give a greater percentage. See how that works? This is really a thought-provoking principle. It means even as God gives us more resources, we should not automatically just spend it on ourselves. That would be just accumulating treasure on earth. But rather, we consider giving a greater proportion of it to Him. Ron Blue said this. He said, many Christians today are just tipping God. You know, giving God just sort of a little tip every once in a while. Oh, it's Sunday. Let's tip him again. God's done a good job this week. You know, many Christians are just tipping God. 
And he said, you know what's interesting is a lot of people, Ramalu said, tip waitresses a greater percentage than they tip God. It's an interesting thing. It's thought-provoking to think about that, isn't it? And then I like Peter Marshall. He gives a little friendly jab at us. He said this, give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. Jab, jab. And what that means for me and what I think it means for all of us is we need to reflect a little bit. This is a thought-provoking principle. We need to evaluate a little bit. We need to kind of wrestle with this. What does this mean for me? Now, as we have blasted our way through those four things that have have really made a difference in my own life, I, I want to turn to one other passage, and that's in the book of Philippians. So it's to the right in your Bible, and you get to Galatians, Ephesians, and then you have Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18. And and the reason why I want to look at these verses is these verses reflect my heart. These verses reflect my heart for you. I just want you to understand where I'm coming from, okay? I, I just want you to understand in all this, I'm not bucking for some sort of a raise of my salary. That's not where I'm coming from. This church is very generous to me. But I want you to see where my heart is in this, and it's the same heart that Paul had for the church at Philippi. Look, he's talking here about their investing in the kingdom of God, what they were doing with their resources, and and, and notice what he says to them. He says in verse 16, you sent this gift more than once for my needs. Now, notice what he says in verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift itself. That's not what's motivational to me. But he says, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. You see, that's where my heart's coming from. I want you to have eternal benefit. I want you to have eternal profit. I want you to have more friends in heaven who will greet you when you walk through the gate. See, that's where my heart is. And then he goes on to say in verse 18, he says, For I have received everything in full. And have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. They sent this financial gift to invest in the kingdom of God. But notice what he says about it. I've received this, what you sent. And he describes it as a fragrant aroma. Think about the most aromatic, wonderful smell that you can think of. The most wonderful aroma. And he says, when it comes to your gift, he says, that's what it's like. It's, a, it's this fragrant aroma to God himself. An acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. See, that's my heart for you. See, when we invest in his kingdom, it makes God's heart skip a little bit. Man, that's a, that's a fragrant aroma. That's well-pleasing to me. That's where I'm coming from. Now, our practice at Wildwood is to often look at the Word of God and, and see what the Word of God says, and then we start talking about some life response that we can have in light of what the Word of God says. And so I want to take a moment to do that. 
And it involves two things, our life response today. The first one is for each of us to do a double audit. And you go, I don't know what you mean by that. What is a double audit? Well, it involves auditing two things. The first part is a spiritual audit. What do I mean by that? I mean asking ourselves the question, who is in the driver's seat really when it comes to managing these resources that are inside my sphere of influence? I mean, is it just about me? I'm going to spend what I'm going to spend. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Or is God in the driver's seat? When I'm saying to him, you've allowed me to have this amount of resources inside my sphere of influence. How do you want me to manage this, God? See, that's a whole different thing. So the first part of a double audit is the spiritual audit. The second part is the financial audit. The financial audit, where we're taking time to look at these four things we've been talking about, and we say, how much in, 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 in my everyday week do I line up with these issues? Do I really have a grip on this transformational reality that God owns everything and I'm just managing it? How about this idea of this motivational opportunity that we have that God has given to us to take what we have in time, history, and invest it in a way that He earns eternal friends for us? How about this encouraging clarification? Maybe I've just been psyching myself out. I don't have much. Why bother? And then the thought-provoking principle. Have I ever thought about this for a while? About giving to his kingdom based upon how I am prospering and how God is working in my life. So that, that's the life response. The first part is to do a double audit. The spiritual audit, just say, who's in the driver's seat when it comes to my finances? And then how am I aligning up with these four key ideas? And then there's a second part to our life response, and that is the whole issue of our opportunity with Ready for Takeoff. And I want you to watch a video here where our executive pastor, Mark Robinson, lays out some of these principles for us. So check this out. Excited that we have a chance to talk about our Ready for Takeoff initiative. If you've been with us over the last several weeks, you know in Ready for Takeoff, we've been talking about praying up to God, asking Him to work through us to share His gospel in a deeper way in our community and around the world, seeking His vision and direction and His power in all of our ministries. We've been so excited to be able to join with you in prayer through our daily prayer prompts over the last several days and even our prayer time we had last Sunday night together at the church. It's been exciting to pray together as a congregation asking God to work. Uh, we've been praying up and ready for takeoff. We've also, in Ready for Takeoff, been talking about reaching out. Maybe you've been to one of our informational meetings. You've heard about some of the opportunities we have to reach out and go on a mission trip, to be a mentor, to pray for our ministry in Mexico, to help serve meals to the needy in our community. Maybe you've even had a chance to fill out one of these Ready for Takeoff boarding passes and express an interest in getting involved in a deeper way in reaching our community. Because God wants to use you and God wants to use me. We are His hands and feet. We're His body. He wants to use us in His ministry locally and around the world. And so we've been talking about the opportunities that He's presented before us as a congregation to reach out together. And I've had so many great conversations with many of you over the last month about just how God is laying out that plan for us. 
So we've been talking about praying up. We've been talking about reaching out. But we've also been talking about paying off. As you know, we have $1.5 million left in a balance on the mortgage on our children's ministry building. And just several months ago, we had three families come forward and offer us an incredible opportunity of giving $750,000 in a matching program that if we raise $750,000 from the rest of the congregation, together that $1.5 million would pay off our children's ministry building and would free up the funds that we currently use to service that note for outreach-focused ministries in Norman and around the world. That would free up about $200,000. Over $16,000 every month would be freed up from this point forward going into outreach-focused ministries. We've been very excited about that, and we've asked every family at Wildwood to prayerfully consider making a gift towards our Ready for Takeoff initiative and paying off our children's ministry building, freeing up those funds for outreach focused ministry. We've asked everybody to pray about getting involved in that. And we're coming up to the time when we can actually communicate how God has been answering that prayer in each of our hearts. We can express a commitment that we would make as families about giving financially to this initiative. If you've been a part of one of our informational meetings, or maybe you've picked up one of these commitment cards at the table in the gathering hall, or maybe you're going to be receiving one of these in the mail in the next few days, but however you've gotten this card, we want you to take it very seriously. We want you to take this card home and gather with those in your family. If you're married, get together with your spouse. If you have children, involve them as well. If you're single, maybe you get together with your roommates and spend a little bit of time praying about how God might have you be a part of the Ready for Takeoff initiative financially. And as you pray, and as God is leading you to make a commitment for a gift that would be given between December 2012 and December 2013, this commitment card is the place where you will record that commitment. On the inside of this card, there's a line here where you can put the total amount to be given over the next year through December 2013. You can write down that commitment there. Then you can put your contact information. You can tape this up and then bring it back to church with you on December the 2nd. We'll have some receptacles around the church and we'll have opportunity in the worship service itself for you to turn in this commitment card then and make a commitment for being a part of the payoff portion of our Ready for Takeoff initiative. So take one of these cards, take it home, pray it up, and see what God will do to work through us to share His gospel in Norman and around the world. We're glad you're on board. We're excited to take our outreach ministry to the next altitude, and we're excited to see what God's going to do through the Ready for Takeoff initiative. We definitely are excited about what we think God is getting ready to do in our midst. And, and I don't know about you, but you know, when I hear a number like $750,000, I, I can't move in that arena. I mean, that's money that goes beyond my mind. It feels very intimidating, humanly speaking. How could we ever get there? But I, I just want to bring that down on, on the human level to it. It's more possible than you might think. We have more. Think about it this way. We have more than 750 people here at Wildwood. So if everyone gave $1,000, we would make it. I, I, I don't say that everyone's going to be able to do that, but I just want you to understand this is a reachable goal. 
It's not way out there that we can't get there. I know some people um, will be able to give far, far less than maybe $1,000 in the next year. And, and if that's your case, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Remember the encouraging clarification. Some of us are going to easily be able to give one quarter of that amount of $1,000 maybe or half of that amount or, or $1,000 in the next year. And, you know, we're not talking about, well, you know, I give $300 a month a while to run the ministries and everything, so I think I'll just move it over here and give it. To... No, the idea is that we're not transferring our support from one area to another, but rather in the next year to give an extra amount of money to see this become a reality. And when we talk about some of us maybe wouldn't be able to get close to $1,000, there are some of us here who could give many, 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 many times past all of that. By the way, some people have already done that. It's been incredibly encouraging to see. But we do want to remind you that you need to have one of these cards. If you, you, you probably get one in the mail. If you haven't got one, you can pick one up on the table in the hallway there. And on December the 2nd, we're not only going to bring the cards back, but also we're going to take up an offering that day that will be a ready-for-take-up offering. This is exciting stuff. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up and to join us up at the front. And uh, when they come on up here to close out our service today, they are going to be leading us in a song that says that we were made, we were basically born to worship God. And one of the most effective ways that we worship God is through the gifts that we give to invest in His kingdom. So, let's stand together and through our worship, remember what we were made to do.